it's a complex system. There's humans that are involved in that system. So that means there are going to be times when things come up and things have to be adjusted. And how are we making sure that we aren't punishing people for behaviors when it's a system maybe we've created? So we not only allow those behaviors, we may even encourage them. Welcome to the Learning to Change podcast, where we explore the power of the modern learner's lens and put the focus on learning. I'm your host, Melissa Emler, and today I have a conversation that delves into the intriguing concept of just culture with my guest, Julie Stevenson. Julie is the Director of Community Development at Southwest Health a critical access hospital in Southwest Wisconsin. Julie is not just a healthcare professional. She is a human with a passion for learning, connecting, and storytelling. Known for her well-timed use of the F word, although she keeps it together in this episode, Julie is constantly on a learning journey, be it about raising courageous teenagers or understanding why her dogs whine all night long. She's a thrift shop regular, a coffee shop enthusiast, and a lover of pens and paper. As a connector, Julie sees life as an intricate web of interdependence. In today's episode, Julie shares her journey into the heart of just culture, a system of shared accountability where organizations take responsibility for their systems and respond to employees with fairness and equity. This episode illuminates the importance of a just culture in settings where employees navigate complex, high-stakes systems. At Julie's Hospital, the adoption of just culture has radically shifted their approach to accountability. Rather than punishing behaviors, the organization takes the time to understand the root causes, treating employees as whole individuals and acknowledging their outside commitments. This nurturing environment fosters engagement and care, ultimately contributing to better patient care. When the hospital began the work of just culture, the aim was not to fix a broken system. Their workplace culture was already highly rated in regards to employee engagement. So their goal was to preserve that engagement and enhance it for the betterment of patient care. However, implementing just culture is not without its challenges. Resistance to change, the need for slowing down and deepening inquiry, and misconceptions about a blame-free environment all posed barriers. But as Julie will explain, just culture is not about absolving blame, but about shared accountability. It's about understanding that humans are fallible, that mistakes are inevitable, and that response should be consolation and compassion, not punishment. Throughout our conversation, we delve into the differentiation between mistakes, at-risk, and reckless behaviors. We talk about the value of curiosity and questioning to assess risk awareness, the systemic impacts of individual actions, and the importance of understanding the broader context of personal decisions. Implementing a just culture requires learning how to be curious, understanding system design and systems thinking, and recognizing personal biases. It's a slow but necessary process for affecting change. So get ready for a deep dive into how just culture can transform workplace environments, promote shared accountability, and 
enhance the overall quality of service. Let's dive in. Welcome to Learning to Change, Julie Stevenson. I'm so glad you are with me today. I'm excited to talk to you about just culture. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so Julie and I go way back. We were very good friends in high school, and life has taken us down lots of different paths and brought us and our friendship back together in like the last six, seven, eight years. We've had lots and lots of conversations. And because we talk about learning for the purpose of change, I really wanted to bring Julie's perspective to our audience. And I wanted her to talk about just culture because when she started learning about just culture, I started to get really excited. And I'm often reaching out to her for that just culture perspective. So let's just start, Julie, by um, maybe defining just culture for our listeners. I'll just read a definition that I think best sums it up. It's a system of shared accountability in which organizations are accountable for the systems that they have designed and for how they respond to the behaviors of their employees in a just and fair manner. It's about shared accountability. It's about system design um, and really understanding sort of a just approach to all of that. So tell me how just culture matters to your work in healthcare at a small, local, what do you call it, point of access? Critical uh, access hospital. Critical access hospital. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell me, why does your organization care about just culture? Because there are people working inside of complex systems doing really important, impactful work, work that can harm people, right? And so I think Just Culture is one of those um, initiatives that organizations take when they realize how we do things matters. It matters to not only the people that use our service or use our hospital or use our product in some people's cases, but also the team that develops that um, product or that service or that care. And um, when when there's some nuance that's understood, right? Like there's a lot that goes into how humans behave and we wanna make sure that we are using some of that nuance and being really uh, you know, intentional about how we impact our employees in terms of how their behaviors relate to the system that we have maybe created within our hospital. So it's a complex system. There's humans that are involved in that system. So that means there are going to be times when things come up and things have to be adjusted. And how are we making sure that we aren't punishing people for behaviors when it's a system maybe we've created? <laughs> so we not only allow those behaviors, we may even encourage them. And sometimes unknowingly encourage them. Most of the time, I would say in many cases, the reason people maybe resist just culture is because they think, well, we aren't doing that. You know, we don't we don't encourage that. We tell people, you know, these the opposite of those things. But um, there's all sorts of cultural indirect and direct messages that people get about what is encouraged and what is allowed in organizations. So take me back to when you had your first aha moment about just culture. Like, can you remember what the story, what story was being told or what 
you connected it, what you personally connected just culture to that made you say, oh my gosh, I get it and I want to learn more? I mean, I think being in, uh, this is my first role in healthcare. I've worked in other industries. Uh, so I've seen a lot of different models for accountability, whether it's in healthcare, education, nonprofits, I've worked in corporate America. And, you know, healthcare, obviously, and I guess education as well, the impacts are really great <laughs> for how when things aren't, you know, when, when staff members are showing up in a way that's less than intentional, like when, when people are looking at behaviors as the only thing that impacts the patients or when the only thing that impacts the students rather than looking at the larger picture. So once I got into healthcare and I heard about Just Culture and started to bring the context of all of the other places I had been within those, you know, how employees were taken care of in this industry and how employees were taken care of in this industry and things like that. And I was like, oh, this is what's missing this shared accountability for systems and behaviors in so many organizations I had worked within or um, adjacent to, it was just so behavior focused. You did something that requires us to do something about that punish, right? Sanction in some way versus saying, asking that reflective question is, did we put you in a circumstance that, you know, encouraged you to make that choice to make that uh, particular to do that particular behavior? Well, that's really interesting. So can you give me like a specific example of how, because of what, how you've incorporated just culture into your critical access hospital, can you give me an example of how your organization is taking care of people, the people that are serving your patients? Uh, we use an algorithm that helps us investigate um, behaviors, right? So if someone is, I'm going to use a really Yes, like simple example here. But if someone is consistently showing up late for work, and this would normally be outside of our process or outside of our like our procedures, right? Like the handbook mm -hmm. says you need to be here on time all the time. And if there was a behavior that was outside of that, typically people are, you know, pulled into by your boss to have a conversation about you're you're late for work. If this doesn't change, you know, there's going to be some sort of consequence for for you being late for work. And what Just Culture does is allows the person who's being late for work to talk a little bit more about what's going on, right? So it might be in their own life, right? To say like, well, actually, I'm the only person that can drop my child off at work or at school, and that child needs to be there at 8 a.m. And I also need to be here at 8 a.m. And so those are conflicting things. So here's what's happening. And so in, in that case, right, our us as an employer with shared accountability could say, okay, what might we need to do differently? Or how might we be able to support differently? And the reason this is important for our patients is because when employees are heard and they are seen as being beyond just the things they do that people don't like or do like, and instead being a full human being who has outside commitments and things like that, it's easier to be engaged in the work that you do because you feel cared for by your organization, you feel supported by your employers, you feel supported by the sort of lack in some ways of rigid without nuance rules. And instead you understand I need to come or the hope is people understand I need to come to work and be able to give my full self 
But in order to do that, my employer has to be able to acknowledge that I have a whole self and be able to dig in and understand that so that we can share the accountability and how we show up for our patients and how our patients are going to be taken care of in our organization. So the theory or the hypothesis is that if you take care of your employees, your patients will be more well cared for also. Mm -hmm. Yes. So tell me, um, how long ago did your organization start exploring just culture? I think it had started exploring it a little bit before I got here. But about six years ago, when I started, they were starting this conversation about if we're going to, we had a our culture is really great within our organization. We're usually in the top, you know, percentile for uh, organizations that, you know, work, workplaces and healthcare organizations. So we wanted to make sure that we maintain that and pushing our human resources practices and our other leadership practices towards this idea of creating shared accountability was really a next step on continuing to reach a high level of um, workplace engagement that we wanted. Interesting. So tell me about what some of the barriers have been to this work in your organization. Because, you know, if you're already performing really high on workplace engagement, (laughs) I'm sure the conversation about, oh, we should learn about just culture or something new is not necessarily well received by everyone. So Mm -hmm. what were some of the barriers you, your organization or you specifically experienced? Yeah, I think you know, like any change, there's some sort of the ability to slow down and and absorb what the change is has been one of the barriers. What just culture, it requires us to do is ask more questions, be curious, uh, go deeper on why things are happening. Looking for flaws in systems is a lot harder, longer work than saying, Missy did this thing and Missy's being punished for that. So I think the the slowing down was a big thing that gets in the way. People are, you know, this is fast paced healthcare environment. So slowing down to ask questions is sometimes a challenge. I think another challenge is to just culture is a large topic that people talk about. It also sort of associates sometimes with this idea of being a blame free environment and just the idea of blame free. Then people, there's a misunderstanding that like, there's no accountability or there's a lot. So really helping people understand shared accountability. It's not going to just be, we blame a person. We're going to look at the systems overall and understand what is encouraging or allowing people to do what they do versus saying, I'm blaming this person or this department or things like that, because people still think in this sort of black and white way. So if if it's blame free, that means no one's ever going to get any kind of sanction for anything they do. Well, of course not. There's varying understanding of what is in between no accountability and shared accountability. So I've been in the education space for years, and we often advocate for more learner agency in classrooms and schools. And what that essentially means is that learners have ownership over what they learn, how they learn, when they learn it. And there's less rigidity in terms of the curriculum or you know, any number of things. And so often what happens, the competing commitment there for us is, you know, we want more learner agency, but the competing commitment is we also don't want a free for all. And Mm -hmm. so people think when you're advocating for learners to have more agency, that it's going to be a massive 
classroom and whole school of complete chaos. When in reality, the more agency that the learner has, the more engaged they are with the act of learning and the more motivated they are to seek out the next level or the next layer of learning. Um, And so we're always advocating for that, but we're always running up against the free for all. And so it seems similar to your no blame game kind of thing. That's exactly right. I have had leaders say, so so people can come and do whatever they want. <laughs> they really like go right to that place of if if we aren't keeping them in these really tight, this tight box or these tight gar- guardrails that people will, yes, be you know driving through the fields. And it's- Or not coming to work at all. Or not coming to work. <laughs> right. Yeah, th- that's exactly right. So instead they, of being 10 minutes late, they're just not, so now they're just not going to come? Part of the understanding or the training that we go through is helping people think about three reasons to to follow rules or behave in a in, in the way that you're being asked to behave and sort of you we want them working to the third la- layer of these so the first one is i do the thing because i i don't want to get in trouble right so mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why you maybe go the speed limit you don't want to get a speeding ticket right um and the second layer is i do the thing cuz i don't want to be sanctioned by my peers i don't want to stand out right mm-hmm. i don't want uh, for someone to um, ridicule me or for me to not feel like I belong as part of the group. And where we want people to get to is that they behave and do the things they do because they know why it's important to the outcomes that we're trying to trying to get to, which is great patient care, being a great team, uh, being a, a really consistent community where people want to come for care and for work. And moving people through those stages is a long process. Because just to your point, I think, right, it starts really young in education where we follow rules to avoid trouble. Yes, we follow rules to avoid trouble. I remember having a conversation with you about parenting. And I was in a nightmare parenting situation, like the worst thing, right? Like this is a regular occurring situation when you have three kids in high school. But, um, (laughs) and I remember um, reaching out and we were talking about the specific situation and you said something like, there are no mistakes. Can Mm. you dig into that a little bit? Because I think, and you, you said that to me because of your background in just culture. Yeah. Um, But I would love to dissect the construct of there are no mistakes. Well, it's not that there are no mistakes. So I'm glad that let's clarify that right off the get go. The really basic foundation of uh, one basic foundation of just culture is humans are fallible. We are going to make mistakes. Things are going to happen that we did not anticipate the outcome for. And so we have to, in those cases, the just culture program, or, you know, the ideas that we use is you need to console the person. Typically, if something happened that they had absolutely no control over or no anticipation of, that's oftentimes a really jarring situation, right? But every human is fallible. So mistakes are absolutely going to happen and we need to be expecting them. But we also need to be sort of compassionate about mistakes. I would say, I think what I've probably talked to you about in this case is that we, as I'll just say a culture and I'll say like a parenting culture, maybe Mm -hmm. you and I are in similar scenarios parenting wise, there are so many times when people are behaving intentionally in a way that they then get an, have an outcome that they didn't want. And then when they get caught 
doing that thing or that outcome happens. That was what it was. He got Then <laughs> they're like, people say, well, that he just made a mistake when that is probably not true because it is hard to make a mistake in some of these scenarios. So, right. Like I can use a, a speeding ticket, right? Like, so my child gets a speeding ticket and then I might be talking about this speeding ticket later with a friend of mine, let's say you, mm -hmm. and I'm talking about how my you know, son's driving fast. And, you know, I know he just made a mistake. You don't mistakenly drive too fast. I mean, I shouldn't say you don't. There are opportunities where you you may mistakenly drive um, through something without, you know, maybe there's a sign missing, right? That could be a mistake. You don't know, right? Something has um, happened that is outside of your control to not know. But I'll speak for myself. I set my cruise <laughs> above the speed limit. And that is not a mistake. I do it intentionally. And so, a lot of times we have used this sort of like no harm, no foul mentality to say that like, well, I do this behavior and it's no big deal until I'm caught. Mm -hmm. And then I say, it's a mistake. Well, it was just a mistake that, you know, they got in an accident while they were texting and driving. I don't think anyone mistakenly texts while they drive. You intentionally pick up your phone and text. So it's an at-risk behavior or a reckless behavior, but it isn't a mistake is how the just culture one. Right. Know. Well, and I think that the key is it, you, it's, it's only deemed a mistake if you are caught. Mm -hmm. Otherwise mm -hmm. it is a choice that you've made, or like you said, a risky behavior. And certainly in our case, our kids have risky behaviors. I mean, I drive faster than the speed limit too. So I obviously have risky behaviors in some cases too. Um, but I think it, it is th the key element is when the impact of the choice is challenging to deal with as a human, right? And that's where the compassion of just culture probably advances us and advances that person and, and helps them more than the actual punishment of the ticket, the fine, the whatever else, the, the grounding that you get from the parents or whatnot. Yeah, you know, if we're moving people to toward that third rung of behavior where they understand why they are being asked to do what they do or why they need, you know, to show up in this way for our patients or for our students or whatever it is, there's sort of this three word, like regardless of outcome. So yeah. I would do this no matter what happens, because I know it's the right, the thing I am supposed to be doing in this scenario, right? Um, because you're right, we're very punitive in terms of when we're caught, I mean, how many of us speed every single day and we don't think anything of it. But then when maybe, you know, there's flashing lights behind us, now we're frustrated by this, this thing that we have trained ourselves to do. So this is why it's a sort of a lesson in mindfulness in some ways. Some of the work that goes into creating a just culture is helping people stay really aware that our minds will wander. They will drift away from healthy and smart choices that we want people to make if they're not staying really mindful because our brains create shortcuts and our brains are really fast habit, habit makers. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's a big part of it is regardless of the outcome, even if I'm, there's no chance I'm going to get caught, I'm going to do the thing that I know is the right thing to do for the patients or for my teammates. Well, and that the regardless of outcome also probably plays in not just with negative pieces. Like you may, have a disagreement with a colleague about what is the right way to do something. And both ways might be right, but you you decide that regardless of the outcome, 
you're going to approach something this particular way. And as as long as you understand what the outcome, the intended outcome is, I think you're you can live with it. Right. Isn't the regardless of outcome, doesn't that have to do with something like with how you may or may not feel after the impact of whatever it was? I'm going to say it a different way. Yes. To see Help. if I am understanding what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So they talk about they use the story of two um, kids inside the house playing with a ball that they've been told over and over not to play with the ball. Right. And um, instead, the ball gets thrown, a vase gets knocked over, the vase breaks and the kids then right away the you know the parent comes in and says like what are you doing and they're like i didn't mean to do it or he did it when the vase breaking is not the behavior that started it it was the throwing the ball in a house when you knew you weren't supposed to do that the vase is just the unintended consequence of that the unintended outcome of that Mm -hmm. so there's sort of these like two outcomes you have the outcome to do a thing and then the the outcome that isn't expected. So the kids knew they were going to throw a ball. That was the outcome to throw the ball, right? The base breaking is just this sort of unintended consequence of it. In many cases, especially in systems that are designed in work, we have a small part of a larger piece, right? Yeah. So we have to be really mindful to do our piece. We want the outcome to be the best for the patient, not just, I got my work done, so I'm done, right? Like, no, we're all part of this bigger system. We're all part of this team. So we're all going to do our part to make sure that we are behaving in a way that the other person can rely on. Um, mm-hmm. Because if something doesn't go well, we would want to make sure that we've done our best to make sure that we have taken every opportunity to make sure that we are doing everything that we can to protect our team and our our patients. So, I want to go back to um, the conversation that you were having about the blame game and um, that sort of being a barrier to um, implementing just culture features into your organization. So the assumptions are, you said the assumption was that, oh, so if we handle people's behavior in a more just way with more compassion, then it's just like a free for all. They'll, they'll come in late every day and there'll be no Mm -hmm. consequences and there's no consequences for anyone's behavior. So nothing really matters. Everybody can just do what they want. (laughs) So, um, the assumption is wrong ultimately, because we, we know that to be true, that that person who comes in after eight every day, because their son needs to be dropped off at school at the same time, they need to be at work, they get to work as soon as they can, essentially. So what are some tests that the organization that you've worked in have tried to sort of test those assumptions? The assumption being it's a free-for-all, you know, anybody can do whatever they want. What what have you sort of implemented to sort of push back on that idea that it's a free-for-all and people can do what they want? I think the thing that you know, we started this with was really just understanding the idea that punishing mistakes is not effective. It disengages employees. So um, we have to understand what is a mistake and what isn't a mistake. And we have to help people understand the ideas of the different types of behaviors that can replace this idea of every these things are mistakes when really it's possibly an at-risk behavior. Um or it's a, a reckless behavior, right? And so some of all of these things have different uh, sort of attributes about them. So we we 
dig in to understand. I, th I think the test is curiosity and questions for one is just asking about did people, did, do you recognize the risk of not being here at eight or not communicating with me that you're not going to be here at eight? Yeah, it possibly, you know, moves all of our patients scheduling back if you're not available to be, you know, there or whatever. So I think, I think curiosity and helping people understand if, or helping to understand if people recognize that this choice that you're making is putting things at risk. Or when there is sort of a conscious- And the risk isn't just the risk of them getting in trouble. Correct. The risk right. is greater than them getting in trouble because the risk is a systems risk where a patient isn't cared for appropriately and something awful happens as a result. Or even something like the person that you're, you're um, coming in for who's already worked a 12-hour shift is now- 12 hours plus because you're not in and it's exhausting and they're tired. And are they making the best decisions for themselves? They're driving home tired. Like mm -hmm. there are all sorts of little consequences for these, these things, right? These behaviors that we might not even recognize are putting people and the systems in some sort of risk at risk. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, you know, this is a, a big topic. I, I think it's a hard topic to, to summarize quickly, but I think the big test too is we want to retain our employees. We want to have employees that want to continue to come back. And so helping them to feel like they have, you know, a, a place that they can believe that their organization that they are working within understands that there are social competing things at home that they're dealing with. There are dynamics at work that encourage behaviors that maybe are outside of what we say our policies are. But if we're not understanding the right power dynamics, maybe in a certain scenario, it can be placing some of our staff members in a position where they're going to, you know, uh, be part of an at-risk behavior when they just feel like they have no other choice because within the dynamic that the team has created, if I do this, or I don't do this, I'm going to be sanctioned by my peers, I'm going to not fit in here. And so it's a deep, deep concept about how we share accountability, knowing that not just like systems of technology, right, like an electronic mm -hmm. health record or other things get in the way, but our own systems of power that we develop in our teams, the way that we, there's just, it's, it's a big complex scenario. So I think the big test is, are people willing to talk about this? Are people willing to talk about mistakes? Are people willing to recognize, I make choices every day, that if I look at them a little bit deeper, I may understand the risk that I'm putting people or even myself in. And is this how I want to, you know, is this how I want to behave? Right. So it's really about asking questions to understand the broader context. Mm -hmm. And as you understand the broader context of um, the impact of that decision on you personally, but then also the system personally, that's how you get to that shared accountability. And that is something that often just culturally speaking, just where we are, often we really only think about, it's pretty egocentrical, but we pretty much only think about the consequences that we have to endure. Often if there's a systems consequence, you know, there's so many pieces 
that are contributing to that system that we don't actually look at our own contribution to that system failure. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's really interesting. But when I think about the way you said the real test is in the real way to avoid all of this is to be curious and ask more questions. What I hear you saying when I hear you say that is we need people wanting to learn more right? Let's dig in and learn about how our behavior impacts the system and how the system impacts our behavior mm -hmm. and how it's a cyclical component. And I think that's fascinating. Um, and in the end, when we have system accountability, your hypothesis is that we'll have better care, we'll have happier employees, We'll have a more engaged workforce and um, a stronger ability to recruit and retain the best of the best in the workforce, providing care to our people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really exciting, but it starts with learning. Mm -hmm. For sure. <laughs> yes. Yep. And I think that's right. And it's the learning that causes the change. And it is not fast. Right. It is the slow drip method and having those conversations as often as we can and connecting all of those conversations to the at risk behaviors and to the bigger implications of those behaviors, um, which will help people self correct, but also system correct. Yeah. You know, the learning that goes into starting to have a conversation about just culture is one, you have to learn how to be curious, which that, that is even tricky, right? You have to learn how mm -hmm. to ask questions and listen and dig deeper. We have to learn how to play, like, like work backwards in our systems to find, oh, this is the part that's right. So we have to understand sort of that system design and systems thinking. And we have to learn about our own biases, right? Attribution bias is a huge thing that you have to think about when you're talking about just culture. We tend to believe that the behaviors of other people are a reflection of their character, but yet my behaviors, when I have something go wrong, it's a reflection of stuff outside of my control. So we have to challenge that within our brain. So you're learning a lot about yourself and about the world around us as we think about what just culture is necessary or this idea of creating just cultures is necessary because we don't necessarily operate in um, systems that are so interdependent that are just, it's, it's, it's a unique experience. So learning is absolutely at the root of it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being with me, Julie. This is just the start of our conversations. I think you should be a regularly occurring guest on the Learning to Change podcast. So this is just the start of what we will explore together. So thanks so much, everyone. Have a great day and don't get in trouble. Thank you for joining me today on the Learning to Change podcast. I hope you found our discussion insightful and inspiring. As we continue to explore the power of learning and its impact on change, remember that it's not about pushing yourself or others to change, but about embracing the process of learning. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. If you're ready to take your learning journey to the next level, or bring about a culture of learning in your organization, join us in our free Modern Learners community. We are here to help you navigate the challenges and celebrate the successes that come with embracing learning and change. Simply go to modernlearners.community and join us today. You'll find all the resources from today's show in there. Until next time, stay curious and remember, I'm not asking you to change, I'm asking you to learn.
Learning to Change is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blaser. Marty Seafelt edits our episodes. Our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. And Sean McMullen is our executive producer. Learning to Change is recorded on the stolen land of the Sauk and Fox tribes, the Miami Nation, the Osati, Shakawi, Sioux, Ho-Chunk, and Kickapoo peoples. Thank you.